Podmore Get Better is filmed in front of a live Banger Bunker audience. <laughs> I am Will Sandstead. And I'm Tony Johnson. Yeah, it is uh, June 3rd. It's a Monday. Pretty uh, pretty exciting time right now. Uh, it's also gift card day, first business day oh. of the month. So we had gift cards delivered uh, as part of our loyalty rewards, but always, uh, always a fun time of the year, fun time of the month. Yeah, and Classic Course of the Week, which we're going to talk about toward the end of the podcast. First day of Classic Course of the Week, yeah. sort of. Yeah, they, there's they, a there was a false start on the classic course of the week this week, <clears throat> where it uh, wasn't D. wasn't live, and now it's getting flyby refunds. But it sounds like they're working on it. But yeah, we'll, we're gonna do that segment at the end so we can kind of split it apart eventually, and then we'll just have kind of a standalone uh, podcast for that course. Yeah, so I think uh, I think what we should talk about we've talked about events how they had it for worlds qualifying. Uh, just had another event. It was all drivable par fours. Uh, probably four or five tough holes on there. Had like the little train hole from Rhineland, uh, yeah, barn hole, from, yeah, barn hole from Woodland. Uh, I I think I played about thirty thirty five. Took tenth place. Not a yeah. I saw you chase me down yesterday. Yeah, bastard. Yeah, you, you cost you, me ten dollars. Yeah, you took the day off, and and that's <laughs> something you know we we talked about the structured payout, which if you were looking at it yesterday, I know you went golfing. You probably watched you know some of the Twins game, but took a nap. Yeah, and if those staggered payouts, you know, gave more incentive, you probably would have gone out and played. I well, I thought of, I looked about I looked early in the day, and I actually had intended to come out and play for a few hours. And I was like, well, if I if I get a couple more scores, I could jump up to like sixth or seventh, and that's where the payouts yeah. really did start to get interesting. Where I was sitting at the beginning of the day, it was like I was in ninth, and it was one hundred and twenty-five bucks, and I could drop all the way down to fifteenth, and only drop to ninety bucks. I was like, yeah. well. If I don't get out and play, then so be it. But. Time, effort, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, it's gorgeous. Summer's taking the turn here. We've, uh, I think today is our second 80-degree day of the year, I believe, second or third. Yeah. And I think we're on pace to have this entire week leading up to the weekend, 80 degrees here in Minnesota. Uh, contrary to rumors on Facebook and the Internet, Paul Luna is not moving to Minnesota. Uh, there was some discussion about snow and weather conditions, uh, but it sounds like he's actually moving to Houston. Oh, back yeah. to... Back where, uh, back where it all started, getting the gang back together down, yeah. in, down in Houston. I, is Houston going to be the new hotbed? Ooh, the transition of power. We've seen the power scales tip back and forth a little bit. You know, back in the day, you used to have Chicago was a uh, hot spot. Um, you know, we, we talked about Ohio back in the day, um, St. Louis. I, I think, you know, well, Min- Minnesota, we haven't really got to uh, make our mark on that in terms of, like, world championships or anything. But Well, and, and I mean, a lot of those guys <coughs> in St. Louis were – Transplants, right? So Luna came from Houston, and Gervais came from Orlando or Tampa area. Evan was up Ev- in Washington. Evan was in Washington. Evan's pretty tied down now in St. Louis. You know, married kids. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but Gervais not really. He's got a dog. But it's so, a cat. He has a cat, Maggie. Yeah. Okay, it's a yeah, it's a very uh, doggish looking cat. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, he would he would be one that you know, not that he's gonna move to Houston, because who the hell would move to Houston? But uh, but yeah, he's not tied down like uh, like Evan or some of the guys that actually grew up, you know, st- have been in St. Louis for a while. Yeah, and then I I don't know JoJo's background. I don't know yeah. if he's born and raised or whatnot. Yeah, I guess I've never really never really heard. Yeah, I've uh, I've played with him, you know, a couple times. He had the earphones in. That's a, another controversial subject. Um, but yeah, I played with him. You know, it was just kind of a hey, good game, man. Yeah, good shot. But you know, I, I I'm not the most social guy sometimes, and and he seems uh, pretty quiet as well. So I, and, yeah, and he's I think, very focused when he's playing Golden Tee for money. Yeah. So I think the unfamiliarity between us, um, you know, we just kind of hey, good game. You know, I think you know both respect each other and then of course he hold out twice on me and beat well, me i'm sure jojo's a loyal listen listener so jojo feel free to send us your uh life bio yeah and we'll uh, read it on there next week and it can be a little get to know him segment yeah get I, to uh, know jojo i googled it wiki wikipedia it and uh couldn't come up with anything no in terms of the we don't have a Wiki. he doesn't have a wikipedia page mm. what, who's going to be the first golden team player to get a wikipedia page i would think uh potentially kinsler yeah. Possibly Sobe. I mean, I, I don't know what you talk about back in the day. Like, are you talking the best or just any Golden Tee player? I mean, we could Cause, we cause, could, we could make our own Wikipedia pages. Yeah, you know, because we could be in, the in theory you have Paul Tesori. I suppose, that's true. Yeah, Golden Tee player. So I don't know if you're talking upper echelon, like tournaments. Yeah. I would say champions. someone who gets a, golden, or a Wikipedia page because they're a Golden Tee player. Well, 
So the first that comes to my mind would potentially be Kinsler or Haas yeah. um, being on you know some different TV shows and things, different TV segments and so forth. Um, wow, this, that, that's it, a really good question. Yeah, this is this isn't even in the show notes. This is the yeah. type of stuff that just happens. Yeah, but I you know I think it would be one of the world champs, mm-hmm. you know, probably going forward. And as the esports thing hopefully gets bigger and bigger, uh, gets a little bit more widespread coverage. Um, then the possibility of actual Wikipedia pages, uh, you know, goes up a bit. I would say. Yeah, that's. Uh, if someone wants to make Will a Wikipedia page, by all means. Oh, oh they're, 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 uh, they're. Will Sandstad, not Sandstead. Yeah, there. Uh, there's some skeletons in the closet that uh, I mean, <laughs> one out there floating around. So. Um, These, uh, you're gonna have a lot of those parentheses that says need additional references. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Um, so events mode, we talked about, uh, you know, they did kind of do some staggering of the payout structures, but in terms of a motivation to actually go out and play, you basically did have the top guys going after it again. Uh, not a big shock. You know, yeah. I think it was like Evan, Jojo, Haas. I think Luna I saw mid-afternoon was making a run. Um, so I, I think they definitely chased it. Softened, softened up tourneys a little bit yesterday afternoon. Um, but, yeah, events mode, we, we uh, don't know what's in the future. Currently this week, with the return of Classic Course of the Week, events mode, of course, then goes off now. Um, I don't know why. Every other thing, so. And, and they could have just combined them, right? It doesn't it doesn't have to be. I mean, they've always just done it in prize play, but there's no reason it has to be that way. Yeah. You could have Classic Course of the Week events mode, you know, uh, you know, a $2 entry instead of $1 or $20, 20-person contest. I mean, we've, got, we've been over some ideas before of different events they could do, but... They could, they could sort of, in the, so they always have an events mode, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do it as a classic course of the week. Yeah, on, on your off week, just program classic course of the week, straight prize play, 50-man tourneys, whether it's the $1 standard entry or a two or maybe a five every once in a while. Yeah, into events mode. And then it gets people used to checking events mode. Correct, as opposed to seeing it blacked out. Because I, I know I've gone to bars sometimes or, you know, even here at the bunker where all of a sudden the machine reboots or whatever and like last week was an events mode week i came in here trying to play events mode and events mode was blacked out yeah. now knowing that events mode was going on i knew that there was probably you know i needed to reset Just something reboot, yeah. or there was you know some update or some file thing that was going on um so I, I did that but i think to your point i think that's a great point that players would find that beneficial where if every week a player was going to go look at what events mode was and then yep. potentially drive gameplay with that, whether it was bring classic course of the week there in the alternating events when currently they take a week off. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, talk about Worlds. Ooh, Worlds is coming up fast. What's your excitement level right now, Tony? Uh, seven and a half. Yeah, I'm about a seven and a half, eight. Andy Fox, what's up? Uh, excitement level, Andy Fox, 7.0. 7.0 that from Andy so Fox. Yes, and you know it. Lemon, 7.3. Let lemon uh, Fox is vouching for lemon. That lemon is a seven point three. Andy Fox and was, Jeff Lannon talk and text more than most people know. Do we know? Was it Al that said he was at a ten point five? Yeah. Does yeah. he know how the one through ten scale works? I, I, I don't think he does. Okay. I, I know he knows how the one through five scale works because he had to pay me out last Friday. So he knows <laughs> the one through five scale. I don't know about the one through ten scale. Oh, all right. So he, there, there may be a little breakdown in communication there. So I, I thought for sure Fox was going to be a higher excitement level than me. I could have sworn. I'm nervous. Oh. Well, Fox has promised. I have. Promised. Guaranteed. Guaranteed a cut made this year. Yes. Uh, and we're all rooting for him. I'm over here trying to shoot 30 on Pine Meadow. <laughs> He's in Pine Meadow Jail right now. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, Worlds, Tony, we got a... They upped the prize pool this year. They've upped the number of participants, entrance qualifiers, whatever you want to call them. Uh, from 64 to 74, so they've added 10 spots. And originally, they were going to have just one person on the Friday night, the last chance, the last shot, closest to the pin, the Sandmire. The Sandmire. Uh, and now it sounds like it's going to be two. We're uh, still accepting two, uh, submissions, by the way, in that trophy design. Yeah, we've extended it another week. <laughs> another week. Another week, yeah. It is getting crunch time for uh, the passing of the Sandmire trophy if he doesn't uh, double it up this year. Yeah. So... Unfortunately, we do have uh, past participants and longtime Golden Tee players Jeff Sudiak and David Duncan who are out. I know Jeff Sudiak's spot was already filled in the final event, uh, qualifying event number 12, which was originally going to be five. Then it moved to six. With Jeff Sudiak dropping out, it moved to seven qualifiers in that final event. 
And now that that events mode has been closed, the 12 qualifying weeks, David Duncan has since dropped out, which has created a field of 72. So two open spots at the closest to the pin for the qualifiers. Double Sandmeyer. Yes. So um, that'll be fun. Uh, so that'll be Friday night, 7.30, right? I think is the, I is believe, the time of that. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be fun. But while that's going on, the, se the 72 already qualifiers will have an event going on of their own. Uh, the first, first place prize is $3,030.30. Correct. I think I got that right. Uh, and second place is uh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they made it sound when they originally posted it. It was a total prize pool of three thousand thirty dollars and thirty cents. First place three thousand thirty dollars and thirty cents. So yeah. yeah, it sounds like uh, out of the 70, 72 qualifiers who get to participate in it. Uh, yeah, someone's probably going to be running at the tables pretty hard, having some fun. And to your point, yeah, the rest of you can go beat feet, get the hell out. So we, we speculated a little bit on what that what that contest might look like. They, they've hinted that it's tied to the number 30. Obviously, this is the 30th year of Golden Tee. There's always been kind of that magic number of Golden Tee. Mark, which Mark is Stenmark's official 30. 30 club, yeah. Yeah. Do you think it'll be a brand new entrance into the minus 30 under club? Mm, probably not. I think most of us have shot 30s. But, uh, but yeah, they've, they've hinted that it's tied to that. So whether it's like a elimination, like you have to shoot a 30 to move on to the next round, they're just so tied. Their hands are tied a little bit with the time frame that they've put forward. I, I would think very much so. So I'm, I'm curious to see exactly what they're going to do. Or, you know, maybe they maybe instead of they think it's going to take an hour and a half, maybe it takes two hours or two and a half hours. For $3,030.30, I'll go a little extra. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise, I know to your point, it starts at 7.30. Uh, I have a feeling that by like 7.40, I will probably be at the 5 or $10 blackjack table is yeah. uh, what would be my initial thought. Yeah. Do they have a $5 table there? I don't know. I, I think it was 10 minimum, but then we started getting oh, into the 25s and 50s. You know what we need to do? We need to give a public service announcement. Yes. Because uh, if I remember correctly... That we now have, there's a two, they signed a, a two year contract with the Orleans. Correct. So, so this year this is year the and first. next year for sure. Correct. Next year. So if you're playing any sort of games, table games, slots, get that Boyd Gaming uh, rewards card. Oh, God. Because oh God. there, oh, God, yeah. There are savings to be had. I basically got three quarters of my hotel stay covered just because I had the card. So just get the card. They don't send you anything other than, you know, once every few months you get a little something in the mail, whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, it saved me 500 bucks or something, oh. so why the hell wouldn't you? Yeah, it was it was pretty slick. I know the first person to mention it was Brian Bernhardt, and he talked about, I think he got all three nights. I think he's there three nights. Um, yeah, they covered me three. I think that's the, maybe the max they do in a chunk, and so, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, found my player card, entered the number on their website. And it was probably one of the smoothest interfaces I've ever seen for, like, registering for something. Yeah. You register it, name, address, phone number. They never send me crazy emails, hardly anything in the mail. All of a sudden, as you're logged in, you go to book reservation. And when you previously checked before registering, four nights at the Orleans, I think it was, like, 550 bucks, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, I think I got in for 180 and then taxes was, like, 220 So, yeah, saved a couple hundred bucks. This podcast sponsored by Boyd Gaming. Yeah, no, no <laughs> shit. Yeah, so go get your Boyd Gaming cards. It was uh, it was really slick, really easy, and then hopefully you can uh, roll out next year for the World Championships, uh, whether as a participant or someone who's just there to watch, hang out for the weekend, yeah. because they put on a great show. I was, I was really impressed. I'd never stayed there, uh, but I, I, I really liked that place. It was big enough where it had everything, but small enough where – you could do a loop around and you know still see you know the 64 guys and play in their family and friends uh or people it didn't felt like people were getting lost yeah and we uh we convinced uh fox and lemon to join us at the orleans this year not in the same room they, they will be in the same room because of course that's what they do uh but they are not at the bellagio this year they are or the palazzo sorry the even fancier version of the bellagio, bellagio right? uh but uh they'll be joining us at the orleans because i think they they saw what a good time we all had at the orleans and yeah. not having to go on and off site so much and uh so yeah stay at the orleans it's great yeah come uh come down in the mornings i'm sure we'll be doing some poolside podcast uh some morning drinks uh getting getting the bearings greased up as we get ready for uh qualifying box up to a 7.5 oh excitement meter is rising as we podcast live right now at the Banger Bunker in Burnsville. So what else do we have going on, on uh, about Worlds? I know they talked about they got official confirmation um, 
from the Gaming Commission, and they're yep. going to be doing odds on the World Championship again this year. Yeah, so there's been a little bit of talk about it on the Facebook page, um, and I, I had asked for people to send what they had for the starting odds for last year, and so I had the odds that I had seen and the odds that we podcasted about, um, they came out like a, a little more than a week before the World Championships. Um, and so I think we can expect probably a similar thing this year. So probably in a week and a half or so, we'll start to see those odds come up. <coughs> but what I've got here is like a very, very early version of the odd sheet. This, this isn't can, original. And I would, if I would have been in Vegas for this, I would have angle shot the heck out of these odds because, yeah, I just they're so juicy. The 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 favorite there was a there was two co-favorites, Andy Haas and Paul Luna, both at ten to one. Now those got quickly bet down and I think those guys both ended up in the kind of four to one range um, and Andy Fox was a 12 to one got bet down quick to five to one or so so all these numbers got bet down really quickly other than some of a lot of the other kind of longer shots but all of the, like the top four or five favorites if you just put a hundred bucks on each of them I mean yeah. the odds of one of the top five guys winning this tournament are pretty it's high pretty high right? I think Agreed. I think we can all agree that the top five are probably a little level above the rest of us. Oh, hell yeah. Um, oh, God, yeah. Yes. Uh, so, but yeah, anyway, so once those odds do come out, we'll, we'll go over them. I think, I think we can expect the odds to start at around where they settled where they in finished at. finished last year. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. I, I think, to Tony's point, you, you look at the top five players, and well, I think I'm a pretty good player. I mean, you talk about Haas, Luna, Evan Gossett, you know, Mark Stenmark, JoJo, and then right around there, I, I think that would probably be my spot where it potentially falls off. You got Andy Fox, who uh, definitely hit and miss. You know, Paul Taylor, Ed Godfrey, Seth Standifer, Jeff Lennon, Clint Grover, the mouth. Yeah, Lance Harris. I mean, there are so many good players, but to me, in the back of my mind, I think those five are kind of, you yeah. know, to Evan's point, the cream of the crop. Well, and just look at the last... Performance. Look, at, look at the last 10 tournaments. Yeah. What percentage of the tournaments did one of those five win? Mm -hmm. A pretty high percentage. Yeah, one of the few times where uh, past performance probably does indicate <laughs> future results. Uh, so the last thing uh, about Worlds, we'll obviously we'll touch on Worlds a lot more in the next couple weeks leading up to Worlds, but the big announcement, so they... It's been hinted at a few times that there's going to be a big announcement. Having to have, like, not just like, hey, new courses, but like a, a global, like big announcement for Golden Tee. Yeah, I think uh, that's part of their mission statement is that whenever they're going to have an announcement, they make a few announcements announcing the, that they're going to have an announcement. Oh, so it was an announcement of the big announcement. But anyway, uh, so that'll happen, I assume, on the stream uh, at Worlds. I would guess it happens Friday night. Just That's kind of their... That's probably when they're going to have the... Uh, maybe not the most people, but there'll be a big crowd there that Friday mm -hmm. night with people trying to qualify through the CTTP. It'll be, and I think it'll be a, a good environment for that to, to happen at. Uh, assuming it is a truly big announcement. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. One of the other things I know they had mentioned that they're going to have a 2020 yeah, yeah. Golden Tee machine, so ba basically a beta. It sounds like most of the coursework, everything is all wrapped up. Uh, we got the design a hole that's going to be in there. We'll talk about that later because they did announce the winner with a uh, brand new home edition machine. Uh, the hole looks good, but it sounds like there will be a 2020 Golden Tee machine there. I wonder if the uh, a ancillary thing will be that the uh the remastered whole courses will be on there as well. Or if they'll be grayed out. Mm. Yeah, we'll see if they're grayed out. We'll uh, have to go back into the brain archives or on uh, Eric Nelson's Golden Tee fan if they are grayed out and try to uh, get some get some pictures to match up to figure out what courses they are. So, But yeah, that'll be fun. It'll probably be a crowded... Shouldn't have, pr probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah, that, no, that, no. Really... no I, I, I wanted to give those guys a chance. <laughs> but uh, we can edit that out of the podcast. Yeah. That's all right. Adam and Adam and Adam and Kevin don't listen. And Don has already checked out by this point. Like he heard us blabbing on about events more. He's like, ah, these guys are you know. So none of those guys. Uh but yeah, that'll be fun. It'll be a crowded machine, I think. When they've had uh pre release uh machines <laughs> pre release <laughs> machines uh at tournaments before, they've always been really crowded. Because, you know, it's fun to play new courses. Uh what do we want to talk about next? Yeah, I don't know. I mean uh you know, we, we have worlds, which excitement levels aside, um, is is probably the biggest thing. But you know, we we look at kind of like our monthly things that go on, and with monthly things, I just wanted to talk about loyalty rewards. Uh, this gets talked about on Facebook sometimes about 
how the default pricing for Golden Tee is basically if you want to play a live game for money, it's $4 for the game yep. and a dollar to enter the contest. And there are definitely locations, bars, bunkers, power caves, wherever. I mean, there are machines that I think the vendor realizes in a capitalistic sense as opposed to uh, the standard pricing where everyone should all have to pay $5 a game that if they lower their game price that you're going to have people play more. All of a sudden, these vendors, we know vending is a competitive business. You're going to have players transition from one vendor to another because... If you're only saving a dollar, maybe $2 a game, maybe it's $8 a game, whatever. But but if you're saving a dollar a game and you play 50 games a month, you're probably going to jump ship and all of a sudden you're playing with new and other people you, you haven't played with before and you're saving money in the process, which in turn allows you to play more and get better. Yes. The, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it's something we're pretty familiar with here in Minnesota. We, you know, I remember back in the, you know, the 2005 to 2010 era, it was a lot of like, talking with vendors and how cheap can you get them you know how cheap you know are you willing to go and you know do they have a certain loyalty program like a, a club lucky or something like that so you gotta kind of weigh in the extra benefit of that and so then but i think at this point we kind of we have settled into the vendor that a lot of us use here which is uh dean bending but um but yeah i mean we've we've got a, a pretty nice setup you know we we maintain the machines really well so they don't have to have a lot of maintenance done to them we have, we perform a lot of the maintenance ourselves um, and uh, because of that, Dean Venning is willing to uh, price the machines relatively inexpensively and also give us kickbacks. And yeah. so that, I think that the loyalty program, it's one thing to lower it by a dollar. I mm -hmm. think that's a relatively common thing for vendors to do, to say, oh, we'll go from $5 a game to $4 a game. But then really taking it to the next level and the loyalty rewards where your, your best players that really do play a lot of games on the machines end up getting a gift card a lot of times because they don't want to just default the pricing to $3 a game so that every Joe Schmo that walks up to the machine can pay $3 a game. Uh, but your best customers end up paying, they net out at $3 a game or two fifty dollars a game or something like that. So that's a very common thing. Uh, but you, know, you see people on Facebook uh, asking about it. Like, oh, how do you guys get, you know, how do I talk to my vendor about getting cheap games? Well, you, you got to show them a reason why. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be like, well, I play 20 games a month so I should get cheap games. Well, I'm happy that you play 20 games a month, and you probably have fun doing it. But that's not going to incent the vendor to, and or unless you can convince the vendor that, well, if I was paying four dollars a game, I could, I would be playing 50 games a month. Mm -hmm. Okay, now maybe we were talking here. So, um, yeah, you just need to show the the vendor a reason why, and it's all about the gameplay, right? Mm -hmm. If you can show them an increase in gameplay or a prevention of decrease in gameplay, then then they, you know, I, the, I, a lot of vendors that. The, the best 80% of the vendors will probably understand what you're talking about and, and mm -hmm. it makes sense. There's always the 20% the of vendors or 10% that are just, you know, thick. Uh, uh, oblivious or just <laughs> yeah. say, no, the game comes at, you know, no, four it's standard. or five dollars a game. I, yeah, exactly. I can't change it. That's So, I mean, you, you have the guys in St. Louis who obviously with power vending <clears throat> get, get good deals. We're here at Dean Vending, we get good deals. They're club lucky operators. Uh, I think they used to not give kickbacks, but I think they kind of changed their mind once they saw some of the better players going to other vendors right. that were giving kickbacks. So I, I, I think uh, the Golden Tee Caddy app makes it really easy for you to see how many games you're playing. Now, granted, that's more to a specific time frame for a month. You, can, you could go into every game and see where, in fact, you played that game. Uh, so it's not necessarily the easiest to say, Hey, I played, you know, 50 games at Lucky's Pub, and then I played 120 at the Stadium Sports Bar Grill or whatnot. So it doesn't, but but you can show a vendor. This is how much Golden Tee I play. Yeah, the vendor can look up how much you played on his machines. Yes, so, correct. Look, I played 170 games last month, mm -hmm. and you can look it up. I played 20 in yours. So do you want? Yeah. Do you want all these 170? Because I'm willing to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so and you have to be willing to follow through and actually do it, right? If you yeah. say you're gonna. Uh, play a hundred games a month, and make sure you're you're doing that. Uh, otherwise, they might put the pricing back. Yeah. So one one of the one of the other things with that is we're talking about prize play. Another aspect is I always see people posting about and inquiring about home edition machines, and you're a home edition owner. Yeah. Slash winner, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I own it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Legally, it is yours. Yes. Um, 
but yeah, we we've gotten to know Brian Roski and Adam Fitzgerald, and they've always had the best pricing and, in my opinion, the best service. Yeah. I mean, they're on the Facebook page. They're reaching out to guys when guys have questions, even if they didn't buy the machine from them. I think they're just that well respected within the Golden Tee community. Uh, for number one, selling machines at the best price, getting them shipped out, having everything ready to go where they help you, contacting IT so when you get that machine shipped to your house, it's damn near plug and play. You're plugging it in, hopefully everything's already set up online with an online IT account and you're good to go as opposed to some of these folks who have gone through other companies to get their machine where it gets there and now they have to call out and they have to reach out and they have to set things up and it's you know basically a brick sitting down in their man cave for a week or two weeks. So yep. shout out to Brian Roski and Andrew Cheryl. There's nothing more frustrating than having a home edition and not being able to play it. <laughs> it's just, you're, you're so excited, it got there. So like, I, I happened to get mine like later in the day. So I got home and it was like four o'clock. Well, I got, I got it out of the box and I put it, I set it up and I went to fire it up. And you know, by that time it was five o'clock or 5.30. Well, IT was closed for the night. Oh shit. Like, dang it, I'm playing casual play tonight. Cause you know, you gotta get your account set up and all that, so. Uh, yeah, but if that was a week, I would have been pulling my hair out. Yeah, it was just a day. I, I survived. You know what else is really fun when it arrives and being able to do is play classic course of the week. Yes. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to play Glacier Ranch at some point today. I know you're on time frame. I'm on a little bit of a time frame. I got the panda. I got to hang out with tonight. Get, um, get to hang out with. Get to hang out with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and probably hanging out with literally. Mm-hmm. Um, so also, we got uh, our Design-A-Hole winner. Uh, we'll just touch on this. I'm not familiar with Rob Markham. Uh, he was the Design-A-Hole winner for Sidewinder Creek. Dryable par four. Uh, looks pretty interesting. There's water on it. There's you know a slightly sloped green. I don't think it was a left 10 or anything. Yeah, there was, uh, if, if you guys aren't familiar, this is, the, this is the guy who got two submissions into the final 10. Yeah. Um, and they look great. And, yeah, and it was, they're gorgeous. And I actually put his other hole in my top three. It was a par three, relatively straightforward looking, but I just liked the look of it, and I thought mm-hmm. it was a nice looking hole. Um, and this was his other hole, and, and looking at it after it won in just a little bit more detail, I started to pull out some things that, are, that were interesting. Uh, I, I think he left it open enough for, for Jim Zielinski to, to tweak some things, right? Mm-hmm. I, think, I think sometimes if you get a little too specific, like, oh, the green is... It's 90 feet wide, and it, you know it's this break, and and there's tiers, and like the, it yeah. doesn't give Jim enough creativity to, to mm-hmm. do some stuff with the hole, and because he's made enough yeah. holes that he knows what's going to make it playable, and what's not. Uh, but also the tee boxes. So there's one tee box out of three that were looked like a, almost like a casual box, pretty straightforward from there. There was one that was pretty far back. I'm going to say around I don't know 300 or 320 that looked like it would be pretty straightforward. Would be a high tee. But then there was one tee box where it looked like maybe you'd have some tree trouble, and that one actually maybe would be the most interesting of the three tee boxes. So I don't know. We'll see. But, I, again, he left it open enough. Uh, he focused on the kind of the design aspect uh, in order to, uh, you know, separate himself and, and, and win rather than really getting super detailed on uh, the hole itself. Yeah, very cool. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> for this 2020. Uh, so hopefully if you're in Vegas, uh, we should have Rob Markham's Sidewinder Creek on there, being yeah. able to play it. Hopefully, it you know has a big sign like past winners uh, that say Fissure and other you know titles of the the hole that won the design a hole for that year. I don't remember that one winning. Oh, okay. Well, oh, uh, the oh, it's the aqueduct. The aqueduct. Oh. Both of them. We'll uh, we'll take a pause in the action here. So, Tony, this is uh, this is probably one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast because we are basically celebrating our one year anniversary today. Yes. And kicking that back, uh, we've been fortunate enough to have Don Pescone, Adam Kramer, and Kevin Lindsay. Uh, last year, they were able to hook us up with the Classic Course of the Week course, and we were able to do a preview that Sunday before the midnight release. Yep. So, uh, number one, it was fun, you know, to drive that podcast volume, you know, getting a couple thousand listens every week. Uh, pretty cool in that regard. Hoping we can do that again. Uh, Kevin, Adam, Don, you guys know how to give, get a hold of us. Uh, obviously, your secrets, all your secrets, um, are safe with us. So we, we would love to share that with the listeners, kind of give them an early uh, early sneak peek at that. But, Tony, I want to kick it over to you. You've got it pulled up on the big board here, up on the big monitor. Uh, Glacier Ranch. Glacier Ranch, our first classic course of the week, sort of. I mean, we kind of had Bonnie Moore a mm-hmm. little bit, sort of that half-hybrid classic course of the week events mode. Uh, but this is the first official classic course of the week as a, as a prize play course. 
that's just like the other seven courses in terms of yep. you know fifty person prizes, one dollar you know fifty dollar prize pool, uh, and uh, yeah, away we go. I think uh, this time of year I start to play a much a pretty high percentage of my uh, daily gameplay. I'll probably wait until after Worlds to really start to play a decent amount of classic course of the week because mm -hmm. I might as well get a little bit more uh, practice on the on the seven that we might see at Worlds. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, in the summer in the doldrums of summer. Classic yes. course of the week is a, is a is a nice thing, and actually worth mentioning is I know that uh, you know we, we've got the, we've had the new tee boxes for about two months now, new tee boxes, new pin positions, and I know at some point over the summer they're going to open up all the tee boxes and all the pin positions, and so that'll be a fun little thing too. Uh, it's all pin positions and and tees that we're used to using, but just the the mix of that many more options will will make things interesting. Again yeah, and, and and keep it fresh. And what you know would be cool. I thought about this yesterday. Is if they uh, if they new tee boxed some of these classic courses of the week that would be fun so just throw some throw some new circular tee boxes that's into some interesting places on these classic courses of the week or, that'd be pretty fun or, or on pine meadow number one just move it up to the front 80 percent of the box because it's always been the back 20 there are yeah. definitely uh, some opportunities i think um in terms of it getting fully exploited i guess you could say in yeah. terms of or, uh, fully used in terms of the tee boxes because some of these definitely seem to be on lockdown all right, so but let's get uh, let's get to Glacier here. Hell yeah, uh, we've got. I'm gonna scoot over here, well, so we can all we can see my, my tiny phone here while we talk about it. Glacier hole one. You mean our big monitor on the? Oh yeah, our big uh, yeah yeah our big <laughs> Podmore get better studio monitor. Yeah, all this revenue uh, we, we've been generating on our podcast. My yeah, goodness. all these great sponsors. Thank you, sponsors. Yes. Um, so hole one is a regular par four for the most part, although. It's got a pretty long tee box, and you know, I don't know if it's 100 yards long, maybe a little bit more than that. So there are setups where you can drive this, and certainly setups, a lot more setups where you can get into the bunker right in front. So two things, I, I'd always rather have a greenside bunker shot than a, say a 100 yard shot to try to get a hole out. Uh, but also, as someone who plays uh, with a gap wedge as my shortest club, I gotta be a little careful in that bunker because there would be situations in that bunker where I might really, really need the lob wedge. So it could yeah. be that I use a set this week. I haven't really thought about it, where I use a, where I put a lob wedge in instead of having the gap wedge as my shortest. So I'll probably I'd probably sacrifice the four wood in that case. Yeah. So hole number one, I can speak from experience on this. You were talking about the tee box, Tony, and let me tell you, it does in fact run deep. Yes. That is a. That is a tee box that can either make it drivable in one or a standard par four where you're laying up in the fairway looking at a 80 to probably 120 yard shot depending on your club selection uh, and what clubs you do have in a bag and what preferred club you like approaching into a, uh, into a par four green. And I haven't really thought about what balls I'm going to use this week. Um, I, I, at this point I default to streaks and as we're talking about this as we go through the holes I might just try to think about it. Okay, are, are streaks going to hurt me here? Because that's that's when I would not use streaks as courses where, let, let's say there's a 200-yard par three that's got a, a down 10 green. Well, that'd be a real problem with streaks. And so that, yeah. that ends up not being a streak course, so it turned into a barrage course for me. Uh, hole two uh, used to be a lot more difficult, par five, uh, than it is now. Uh, now that we have tees and can blast drives a lot longer than we used to be able to, um, not as hard. So you want to at least get to the, the end of the, basically the end of the bunker, uh, which gets you around the corner. It's a big dog leg to the right. <clears throat> and then it gives you a straight look at the, at the green. So that's goal number one is to get, get past the corner. And then it gives you a relatively simple looking shot into this par five, non-drivable, unless, unless Evan's got some secret shot that none of us know about. <laughs> like he yeah, he, he, po Meadow. he posted a uh, Pine Meadow 14, I believe, today, uh, driving that on the green. I think he left himself like a 170-foot putt, so he wasn't he wasn't going to make a double eagle putt. But uh, seeing it there, I think I'd always kind of glance at that when it first got released, looked at it, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. You know, yeah. you talk about risk-reward. Uh, I would much rather just stay with an eagle, and if someone executes that shot, much less makes their double eagle putt, They've earned that stroke on me because otherwise yeah. that holds. No, it was up. the day. It was the daily contest, so you know. Okay. He probably had some rounds that were done by that point, so he's like, oh, "I'll mess around with it," and that's a good time to play around with. Yeah. Trying out some shots. Uh, hole three, uh, relatively plain Jane par three here. A little left break in the green. Going to play. I'm not sure of the distances exactly, but anywhere from say 110 yards up to 
I don't know. I th- I 150, think, 160? No, there, there's a far back one. I, I remember hitting four and potentially even three woods into that one, I think. Oh, really? I okay. think there's a super far box back okay. there that uh, we may have had during uh, one of like a Freaky Friday mix-up type thing or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I think this hole can go all the way back to a mid-range wood. And I just remember that when we were doing this uh, classic course of the week preview before, I actually played it ahead of time and took some notes. Maybe I should start doing that again. <laughs> That's all right. We're getting back into the swing of things. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, Don, and Adam were kind enough to send us that list. Tony and I will probably be more prepared in our classic course of the week yeah, research instead of uh, <clears throat> just going on the fly here. But otherwise, it's going to bring us to hole four. And this is uh, potentially what can be one of your round makers or breakers right here. I'm a little parched, bro. I'm going to get a beer. Tony's getting a beer. I'm just uh, sipping the Green Mountains today uh, by the makers of Mountain Dew. Uh, yeah, one of my favorites right here. So we have a drivable par five on hole number four. And for some reason, this is probably one of the worst drivable par fives that I, I play. For some reason, this thing always gets me. Huh. Not not always, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I think more frequently than some of the other ones when you start talking about rattlesnake or antelope. It's... Uh, I don't know, just a little frustrating. I know you mentioned it earlier when you were talking about potential streak holes or non-streak holes. Uh, to me, I, I play my razors, the razoids, and I think they do help on this hole for that extra check, giving you the option of backspin or bite. Uh, I'm not a big, I'm, I'm not a big streak person, so you might be able to speak more to how they check up on the green with backspin or bite. Well, I've, I have an extremely standard way that I play this hole, and it's with a my 290 driver. I move it all the way left in the box. And I, nine times out of 10, I'm gonna play a shot where I'm pulling straight back and I'm hitting it a little left of two. So I'm playing a little little baby cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the 290 driver that usually get, if you play that type of shot where it, it, we call it a, a B 1.5 or whatever you wanna call it, um, usually that gets back to about straight from where you were lined up mm-hmm. with the 290 driver, which cuts a little bit more than some of the other woods. Um, and that ends up, you know, as long as you hit it within a with a reasonable speed, it'll hit that front hill and just bounce up onto the green. Gotcha. So that is, I mean, that's my extremely standard shot. In that case, actually, I think streaks are better than what I would have used to use on on this classic course, which would have been grabbers. Grabbers don't bounce nearly like streaks because you kind of want that to bound up onto the green. Gotcha. Um, the uh, barrages would bounce similarly to streaks, and so that they, they would work here too. But, but yeah, I. I that's kind of my standard shot, and I would encourage people to play around with it because I, th- I think it works pretty well. It's pretty repeatable as well. All right, uh, hole five. We've got a drivable par four. Uh, I think it could play anywhere from like 300 to 300 yards or you know 290 yards up to like 360 if you go all the way back in the tee box and all the way back in the green. Uh, pretty far downhill. Yes, elevation change, you're going to have to factor in the wind here. If you got a crosswind, tailwind, or headwind, uh, you're going to have to factor that in because it's going to definitely have to add, what, what maybe about 30 to 40% more. If you got a 10 yeah. wind, you might have to play it as a 13 or 14. Yep, no, um, I agree. That's... To, comp- to, to compensate for that. Uh, so, yeah, it's relatively straightforward. It's a, it's a down, down four green, down five green. Um, but, uh, yeah, so usually you're pretty safe. If you're going that far downhill, a lot of times you're getting more backspin than you would intend, and so you might use bite here instead of backspin. But with that down four, it's gonna it's gonna tame that down a little bit. So you're yeah. still gonna get a pretty bit, you, a, probably a bigger snap back than you're expecting, um, but not as much as you might otherwise if it was a flat. Green. Yeah, if I recall right, I think this was hole one in a freaky Friday about three four weeks ago. Yep. Um, it had like a seven crosswind. I actually hold it out one of my rounds. I was pretty excited. I know when Kevin Lindsay was doing his streaming, I think he pointed it a couple times. Uh, yeah, de- definitely a decent hole. Get your eagle. Move on. Uh, hole six is a hole that we never really were driving before, but now with tees and equipment, and this actually might be another reason for me to use streaks, is is this is going to be occasionally drivable. And I don't know if that's a you – you'll be able to get into that front bunker on this par four. Uh, a uh, maybe 10 or 15, 20 percent of the time, and actually get on the screen. I don't know, maybe five percent of the time, um, and I don't know if that's possible with uh, with razors. Yeah. So last year, uh, in some of our pre-podcast <clears throat> research, we did pull up last year's classic course of the week selections. Glacier Ranch was not one of the 16 from last year. I know it started out. Goodness, I think Desert Valley was one of the first two. 
and I can't recall the other offhand. Unfor- oh, Whispering Valley. I think it started yeah. with Whispering, went to Desert Valley, and then uh, we had a nice long list, 14 other courses. So Glacier Ranch, this would be a, a new one between last year and this year. Uh, getting it back in the rotation now, it sounds like. Uh, I, I think they had it before when they did Classic Course of the Week prior to Probably, our podcast, yeah. but considering it's our one-year and one-day anniversary, uh, yeah, it's nice to have Glacier Ranch. Good course, uh, a little frustrating for me, but to your point earlier, I'll definitely play it a lot. It uh, breaks up the monotony of the, of the same seven courses and uh, definitely something different. Yeah, so uh, most of the time, the uh, whole six are just going to be knocking out on the fairway and getting a birdie. <clears throat> uh, hole seven, uh, par three. Uh, relatively straightforward, although it can be a little tricky. Uh, I remember this hole being trickier back when we were much uh, much greener on the game than we are now. Yeah, when, uh, when it was either naked or backspin, I believe. Yeah, and it was a and you had far less club options. Yes, but, uh, because you've got a I don't know railroad tie wall on the right hand side of the green. Uh, if you hit that, you're likely going to bounce to the left of the green and go down into the into the water. It's pretty uh, pretty tight. Not much room between the green and where you'll drop down into the water. Um, so, yeah, it's a good par three. I think it's a good hole seven in terms of yeah, the so second par three on a, on a front nine. Yeah, some of the listeners may recognize this hole. I think it shows up in Money Shot about once every two weeks uh, <laughs> out of all the 74 Golden Tee courses and all the par threes. Uh, we see this one fairly often. I, uh, I like it. You can usually get a little aggressive at, but not overly aggressive. So, Tony, this brings us over. Uh, this is a little interesting hole right here as well. You think it's interesting? Yeah, I, I remember when we first started playing, there's a little landing strip uh, uh, yeah. that I would sometimes go for, and <clears throat> with tees and balls now, I find myself just hitting a pretty big A1 out into the fairway, yeah. leaving myself a 6, 5, or 4 wood into the green, preferably a 5 or a 6 just for the loft. You are going slightly uphill on this hole. Yeah, I think if... if I, I follow a pretty similar path to you on this. I hit a big A1 to get it out in the fairway. If, if you've got too good of a setup where you're way in the front of the tee box and an outwind, you maybe need to be careful that you don't go too far and go Correct. into the rough. I think you could probably still make it work from the rough, but ideally you'd be in the fairway because, again, you do want to hit a, a relatively high lofted club because it is uphill. And so the mistake that I would make on this hole a lot of times would be that I'm coming up short. I don't, I don't think about it enough to think, okay, i gotta, uh, I got to make sure to get it high enough um, and, uh, and, yeah, get on the green. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. So wrapping up the front side here, we can flip over to hole number nine. So hole number nine, we have another big elevation change. You see this one in some of the uh, in some of the Freaky Fridays, and I think the reason it's in there, uh, and this kind of makes me excited. We, we reminisce about the old school a lot, and we think about some of these smaller par four greens, and we talk about how not necessarily how Golden Tee has been dumbed down, but I think more made for the masses where someone can say, hey, I drove a par four and I stuck it on the green. And and that's great nowadays, but back in the day, I think that spoke volumes to uh, basically what you were able to do as a Golden Tee player. And this is a smaller green on a par four, a lot of downhill elevation change. And since we're you know halfway through the course being hole nine, this is, uh, the winds are starting to pick up. You can get some good winds here. Yeah, some big crosswinds that can make this a pretty tricky hole. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, it's surrounded by water and small green. That's uh, that's that's not not the easiest uh, not the easiest, especially for uh, a hole nine. I feel like nowadays this type of hole would be like hole thirteen or fourteen. Yeah, just so, deeper somewhere on the, the backside for sure. Yeah. All right, so uh, the front nine. We closed out the front nine there. Par on the front nine is fifteen under. Uh, I'm not counting number one as an eagle hole in that, and I'm not counting. Hole, what was it, five as an, or six? Six was the one I said we might be able to get on the green 5% of the time. So, any in, in theory, you could get that par all the way up to 17. Uh, but I would, what I would call there, yeah. normal par would be 15. Okay, good deal. Uh, all right, so hole 10 is a, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it non drivable, but again, I know it's actually possible to drive this hole with probably the perfect setup, but. Uh, but definitely I wouldn't consider it par, and it might almost be like, kind of like how Evan drove that par five on Pine. Uh, this might be, oh, it's a daily, I've already moved my round, I might as well try it and see if it's possible. Um, in a match, I certainly wouldn't try to drive it, but you know, in a, in a regular round, I might say, oh man, it's, the setup's never gonna get any better than this, and I'll, and I'll give it a go. So in looking at this hole, I remember when this course was originally released, I basically played this hole two different ways 
depending on where the pin was and where the wind was. Uh, I had an option or you know my style of play dictated that I would either lay up short in the fairway for a five wood approach because this green is elevated over water. Yep. To your point earlier, railroad ties in front of the green. And if you don't have that elevation on your wood of a five wood, you know, maybe a four wood, I don't know about a three wood, but I always felt like the five wood, I could judge the distance pretty good, get the backspin properly. Um, so that was one of my first options. My second option was go to the end of the fairway to have kind of a short or mid-range iron going into the green. And that's kind of how I played this hole. I, I looked at two different spots. Uh, there's kind of a little nook about halfway out in the fairway, I believe, where I used to lay up for the five wood. Otherwise, I'd just try to hit as far up in the fairway as I could for that short iron. So at this point, I always go to the end of the fairway because, and maybe by the end of the week, I'd, I'd learn it, but it, you play these courses so sparingly and, and especially in like invites. So I might, I've probably played this course, I don't know, 10 times in the last mm. year via invites, but I don't play it enough to remember the spots that you just described. Okay. Whereas this, when this was one of the regular courses, I'd say, like, oh yeah, I just knock it out in that little nook in the, uh, in the fairway and that's a perfect five wood. But I, you don't play it enough at this point, so, so I, I know I can go right to the end of the fairway, so, so that's what I So the do. default play, yeah. <clears throat> yep. Gotcha. But yeah, it is uphill, that second. So uh, I almost never thumb it into this green just because thumb shots come off a little lower. A little flat, yeah. Um, and so you know, I always want to make sure I'm palming it into this hole. Uh, hole 11, uh, also I'm going to say non-drivable, but I believe it's it's probably not really all that possible to get on the green, but you be you could be able to get definitely within chip range. Chip range, with a chush center. range, yeah, potentially. Yeah, it's not a flat green. It's not a flat green, but some of your potential crosswinds could offset it. Yeah, um, yeah typically you're going to hit it out in the flare, fairway with a uh, slight variation of uh, A1, I believe. Uh, yeah. You're going to do just a, a slight, you know, dog leg right you're gonna hit the ball hopefully it curves with the dog leg and doesn't go long in the water and leaves you I, I believe a lot of times you're gonna have a short to mid-range iron uh, gosh maybe even an eight wood depending on where the where the pin is I think this green if I recall right is pretty deep in yeah. terms of a front pin position you're gonna have a short iron and if it's towards the back you, you might have a five hybrid or an eight wood I believe. yeah and, and uh, I think it's pretty common on, on Glacier Ranch and, and it was kind of uncommon back in Glacier Ranch's day was that you've got big tee boxes on this course. Uh, it, that's become something that's a lot more common nowadays to have a lot of tee box options and big tee boxes. But back in the day, it was it, it was not the case. And so Glacier Ranch is kind of an anomaly from back then in terms of the size of the tee boxes and the options they would give you. So point being is you could have, I mean, again, it could play like 100 yards shorter just by where you are in this tee box, which I think is great. I think the more variety, the better. All right, uh, hole 12, go ahead, Will. Uh, par three here. This one, again, slightly uphill here. We've got some railroad ties on the front portion of the green as well as the left portion of the green. And I don't know how this will set up. I, I think in some of the classic courses of the week from last year, if the course did have rain, I think sometimes they will have rain. I, yeah. I believe so. I know right now they typically don't do it because of uh, graphics accelerator cards or something that Richard King and Don Pescone know about. Um, I, I don't I don't know what the hell they're referring to, but long story short, we, we really don't get rain anymore. Yeah, and I, I remember I, I, I remember having this hole where you could you could thumb like a three hybrid at this sometime and just have it make a nice little missile run and all of a sudden it would just stop in that rain yeah. uh, without having to use any spin where you could kind of take aim at this hole. It's, it's not that bad a par three for being on the backside of a course like this. Yeah, I, speaking about that rain, I, I know on, on invites you can get rain still on all the courses that had rain previously. So I assume that'll be the case here. If it truly is a video issue that they have, I don't understand why they'd still allow it for the old courses uh, and not have it for the new courses. But again, that's graphics talk that Richard King and the techies understand that I don't. Yeah, so I mean, there, there's some you know kind of cool things going on with that hole. And you can kind of look at this, to your point from earlier, the diversity of the tee box here. This is a long, deep, thick, skinny tee box. Um, <laughs> But there are three different hole markers on it. You, you can see on Eric Nelson's Golden Tee fan page, uh, goldenteefan.com, when you pull up hole 12 right here, you can see there are three different tee markers. And while you could move forward and backwards in the box, nowadays we typically have three different unique tee boxes in of them themselves. Yeah. I think if they had done this now, uh, you'd have three different small tee boxes, a uh, forward, a middle, and a back tee box. 
And with what they did back in the day, it was, it was just one big, long, skinny, thick, deep tee box. <laughs> um, but kind of cool to see the three, uh, three hole 12 signs on that. Yeah. A bit of golden tee trivia, I guess you could say. Uh, hole, hole 13 <coughs> is a par 5, non-drivable. Uh, just the one drivable par 5 on this course. Uh, and this, I mean, it, it still can be a little bit of a pain in the butthole. Uh, it's become less of a pain, like a lot of holes have, as as we've uh, advanced our equipment and gotten tees. Um, but yeah, I mean, it used to be back in the day. There's a you wouldn't go to the fairway; you'd go to the right of the water that's in front of you onto the kind of a mound that was surrounded by rocks, and you'd get up to the top of that mound, and then you'd have a, a five wood or a four wood over that over the big hill that's guarding the green. Uh, and nowadays, I think that's still going to be a common approach. Uh, but depending on the setup, if you've got a, a the, either the front box or some combination of box and, and a good wind, you can just high tee it and blast over everything and go into the far part of the fairway. Yeah. A1, straight shot, you've yeah. got some options there. Uh, you've got plenty of room here for an A1 type shot with the trees. And so, yeah, that's obviously the preferred option. Not, it, It's far less risky than trying to get it to stop on top of that mound because uh, then you'll still have a straight look. Again, you have to get it far enough out there that you get past. It's not just getting over the water that is, is, a, is what you need to do. You also need to get past that big hill that's on the left because otherwise you, you might be full cutting an eight wood around it or you know full cutting a five iron or a five hybrid around it. So you need to make sure you can get past that hill as well. This hole sticks out in my mind as being one of the more <clears throat> subtly good or subtly fun holes yeah. uh, in Golden Tee. You, you have the option back in the day to get up to that mound and you know that could be a little bit of a challenge in and of itself. And if you oh, did yeah. make that mound, depend, depending on the wind, your approach shot trying to go over around that hill you know you had to judge well will my three would get over that hill probably not so i might have to cut something around and it just presented a couple different types of shot options within this hole yeah uh so i, I really enjoyed this so jim z guessing you're not a podcast listener you're not among the thousands on the bandwagon uh but if you are someone at the it offices give them a shout i've, I've always enjoyed this hole yeah it's a good hole well designed uh, hole 14, a regular, we'll call it straight up par, uh, par four, uh, not drivable. Again, we, we, we're getting into a, something we've said a lot, which is an up, uphill, it'll be an uphill approach shot. Um, I think with a good enough setup, you can knock it up within, say, 50 yards of the screen, and that yeah, might make wedge. it a little bit easier. Uh, but otherwise, you're going to be hitting from pretty far below this, uh, this surface. So you want to make sure, depending on what kind of club sets you have, uh, make sure that you're leaving yourself with... Uh, something that you're going to be able to get up you know get an eight wood up high enough or you don't want to be stuck with a with a two hybrid or a three hybrid into the screen because uh it's just not going to work that well so we're late into the game now we're on hole 14 we've only got four holes left this doesn't really scream par four on the backside to me as you think about golden tee traditionally now to your point this is a non-drivable par four uh there's not any water here in terms of rivers, creeks, ponds, because it is non-drivable in terms of going into the fairway. So as long as you can hit the ball straight, you're going to be in position to get a birdie here. Yeah, the, the defense here is the fact that it's such an uphill second shot, and it's a, you're hitting into a down six with water behind. So it's just throwing a lot of little variables at you, but mm-hmm. I think we've, we've played enough holes like this at this point that you know it's, it's something we can handle. Uh, yes. And we're just used to what we're going to have to do to you know hit an eight wood into the down six and 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 this might be a good reason why i would use this whole barrage instead of streaks although i you know again it's not that difficult of a hole so it shouldn't this hole shouldn't be the one that dictates whether i use barrages or streaks yeah yeah if you're playing streaks uh a player of your level uh and hopefully you know just average skill level is going to be able to dictate what their approach into that is so here we here we start to get a little interesting uh par three hole 15 this hole always killed me back in the day when it was just bite or nothing or I'm, I'm sorry, backspin or nothing, this this hole used to kill me. So, Tony, you, you might be a little uh, better or more well-versed this hole because this, this thing just drove me bonkers. Yeah, and I, I think, yeah, I agree. It's a, it's, a, it's a difficult hole. It shouldn't be that difficult. I feel like you can play it relatively safe and, and, and do okay. Uh, you've, just, you've got water in front of the green. You've got an up 10, up 11. You've got a cliff behind the green, and it's really not that big of a green. And so... There's just a lot going on, but I feel like I should always be able to bail somewhere on the screen. Nowadays, yes, yeah. yes. And, and especially, we've gotten so, obviously we have so many more options. High tee, low tee, 
we've just gotten so bite backspin release we've gotten so used to using those those things that that trying to find a shot to be safe on this shouldn't be that hard no low t five bird five bird bite like back when this course existed i couldn't do any of those things mm-hmm. i couldn't bite it i couldn't low t it i might not have had a five hybrid well now i always have those things and so i think a hole like this has gotten a little bit easier but that's fine because it was a real pain in the ass before agreed so we're gonna flip over to hole number 16 here glacier ranch uh this was the closing hole in this past week's events mode par four incredibly short it's always going to be drivable and here's where you might want to examine your bags and look at what wedges you have in this i think during events mode it was uh, coated on easy tees and i was primarily hitting a low nine iron with bite uh, to try to stick hole 18, hopefully yep. uh, get my score. But they do kind of vary up the tee boxes in terms of the look and the club selection that you might have for this hole. Yeah, uh, definitely the different tee boxes make this hole play uh, very differently. <clears throat> Thinking about, you know, very common when one of my sets would be 9-iron and then 9-hybrid. I think 9-hybrid is not a great club on this hole because I think if I'm going around to the right side, then I could easily low tee an 8-iron but that low T9 hybrid still might get too high, so I'll have to think about that. I do have some bags with, with an eight iron in there instead of the nine hybrid, so I'll have to think about that this week. Um, but yeah, it's a good hole. It's extremely short, <laughs> par four. I, I think uh, what stumped me about this hole back in the day is that I would see a gap or an opening in the trees and I would be so tempted to go through it. And number one, that brings the tree trunks into play, and also number two, then it brings the leaves into play. And if you hit the tree trunks or the tree leaves, there's going to be water short of the green left as well as at the green to the left and behind the green. And all of a sudden, if you hit the trunks or you hit the leaves, you're most likely going to either be in jail behind the trees if you're lucky enough to have it stay dry or it's going to get wet. So my ultimate, uh, I guess, thought on this hole, Tony, is this is a good hole to see where your cut game is at in terms of cutting the ball, uh, knowing when to use a high tee, a low tee, mostly probably a low tee. Uh, but I think this is a really good hole where it's going to challenge you to cut the ball. Yeah, because there's definitely going to be setups where uh, you need to cut it a lot, but cutting it full wouldn't, would not would overcut it. And so, yeah, definitely. A little uh, half and half. Yeah, there's a lot of that type of shot. And so it'll be a good good judge of your, of your cut game. So, Tony, we're going to close it out here uh, with two eagle holes. Uh, hole 17 is a par 5, and hole 18 is a par 4. Hole 17 is a par 5. Uh, I think there's another good Jim Zielinski creation. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there's variance in tee boxes where this par 5, it seems like, could set up really, really easy. Or it could set up not necessarily hard, but it put an incredible premium on hitting the perfect drive. And if you didn't hit the perfect drive you're going to have a hell of a time getting on this green for an eagle putt. Yeah, and I, you know, it, it's one of those where under certain setups, like you said, it, it's really not that hard of a hole, but if, you're, if it's playing long and you've got a, a wind that's blowing you from left to right, so you're not going to be able to get as much snap on that, on that C3, so you might have to play a cut shot on your second shot. So now you've got a left to right wind, you're cutting the ball left to right, and this green is like a right seven. Yeah. And so... Uh, that's t- that's the type of shot that can easily you can easily overcut um, or undercut if you're scared about overcutting it, and so it, that type of setup can be really difficult. Um, but otherwise, if you can get out into that second fairway deep enough, it's going to be a relatively straight look in uh, pretty big green, so a lot of variety there. Um, yeah. yeah, good hole. Uh, I don't know, hole 17 might be a little late in the round for it, maybe more like a 13 or a 14 to me. But but I, again, back in the day when we didn't have as much equipment as we do now, this this was worthy of its uh, hole 17 uh, status. A cha- yeah, a challenging hole that was really going to make you execute. And then we talked about being in tree jail or hitting tree leaves or tree trunks. Tony, hole 18, you got trees right off the right off the bat on hole 18 where you might turn left and actually shoot it intentionally between two tree trunks. Now these tree trunks, uh, the gaps are wider than they were on hole 16 on the par three. So it's definitely a viable shot and a viable option. And sometimes you're gonna kind of go straight at it. It's probably gonna be a variation of a slight A and a slight one, not necessarily half and half, but somewhere around there. Um, But there's also a third or fourth option of going around to the right, which I've seen YouTubes of. Yeah, uh, Burnsy had a shot of the week, I think, with that shot. Yeah, but by accomplished players, not like a shot of the week, hey, someone got lucky and shot it over there. Um, But I've heard people 
who've uh, kind of developed it, and I've, I've never really tried it, but going to the right, uh, I would say for myself and hopefully the majority of players, you're just going to play this straight up by doing a slight A1. Yeah, so for the, going through that, well, we would, we would call it the B gap, right? So mm-hmm. the A gap is the, the gigantic chasm between the two between the two forests on each side and and in a perfect world you're gonna be able to go through that big wide gap every time the b gap which is the one just to the left of this tree that's very often in front of you um it didn't always used to set up very well to go through that but now with the t we can move that t around and get it to just the right spot so so having t's nowadays it's not that we can high tee it or low tee it here. It's that we can actually scoot it just a little bit left in the box, yes. which makes that B gap a lot more viable. And 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 actually, almost for me, a preferred shot over the A gap because mm-hmm. then you're you're curving it a little bit more, which is going to help you kind of wrap around the the trees near the green and, and stay out of tree trouble near the green. So okay. I, can, I I start it further left so that I don't have as much trouble to the right when I approach the green. No, I think that's a great great point you, you talk about using a tee not necessarily that the majority of the time we're doing it for a high tee or a low tee but paying that tee tax to get it get a better line at the green uh i think every round i'll probably be just defaulting paying the tee tax and uh, hopefully getting my eagle yep. i uh i really like glacier ranch it's always been one of the more challenging courses for me in terms of shooting in relation to par i always seem to screw up that drivable par five early a couple <laughs> other holes and Usually I'm fairly disappointed in myself, but I, I think this is a really good course. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I kind of dogged a couple holes being, you know, oh, too straightforward late in the round. But for when these oh, were... Co- most courses have one yeah. of those or two of those at this point. Yeah, and for when these were originally released, I think this was a really challenging course. You had to really be on your game, especially if you were in a qualifier, like for Worlds or at a St. Louis or Chicago tournament. Yeah, things can go sideways in a hurry on this course. Uh, on this course, yeah, I, mistakes, I, I a lot. Agree. A lot of the mistakes don't cost you one stroke, they cost you two strokes, sometimes yeah. more. And so uh, closing out Glacier Ranch, par, uh, we're going to go uh, with minus 28 as par. Now, we mentioned a couple holes along the way that uh, could get that up to minus 30 or even maybe even a little bit higher than that, although I think those other two are a little bit more extreme circumstances. Yeah. So we'll call this a variety, or a variation between most of the time 28, sometimes 29, and occasionally 30. Um, so, yeah, go, go get into that minus 30 under par club. And, uh, yeah, I, again, fun course. I always like courses where par varies a decent amount. Yes. So I think two strokes is a good par variance on a, on a course, and so... I'll have a lot of fun playing it this week. Uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, this has been our Classic Course of the Week uh, preview for Glacier Ranch and the end to our June 3rd podcast of 2019. I'm Will Samstead. I'm Tony Johnson. Take care. Oh, God, yeah. Bye.